Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, February 26, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about WandaVision Episode 8, previously on the Slash Film Editor-in-Chief, Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Fred Oman. Hey, that's me. Okay, so we have we have the penultimate episode of WandaVision uh, on our hands here. But before we get to that, as with every episode, we we, we have some feedback from you guys uh, in the emails. We do our brief reactions. We'll do our breakdown of the whole episode, and we'll go into speculation about uh, the future episode. <laughs> so let, let's start with feedback. Uh, last week, we were talking about the opening of WandaVision, and a lot of people called, uh, like, wrote emails to us to to explain that the the title sequence was actually based on oh my god i can't find it happy endings the endings yeah this was uh, a total blank on my part because i I love happy endings and just what didn't even cross my mind but yeah that's the the title sequence is very similar to that of of happy endings which presents the title in a variety of different fonts and designs and graphics and whatnot yeah so while the music was referencing the office the 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 way it would just kept on doing the her name in different ways was reminiscent of happy endings 
And he even had like the created by kind of thing at the end, which happy ending says, because doesn't happy endings do, it says happy. And then it like does endings and then it reveals the creator by. Right. Think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the other thing someone pointed out, I don't have who pointed this out to me, but uh, someone made a, a super cut of all the times that uh, Elizabeth Olsen says previously on WandaVision in the opening of the show. And something I didn't notice is from the first episode, she's like really excited about it. And by the time you get to like the last episode, she's like, so just like over it. She's like monotone and like, she's just done with it. So it's just, it's funny that they didn't just reuse the same Elizabeth Olsen previously on wonder WandaVision uh, voiceover. Yeah, it's a pretty episode. cool touch. Yeah. Uh, Chris Evangelista is finally seeing WandaVision. Maybe he'll talk about that on the water cooler. Did he talk about it uh, this week? I didn't get to listen to this week's water we cooler. A- we actually didn't do uh, a water cooler this week. We uh, did a whole episode on Paramount Plus because with Jacob and mine's schedule recently, we didn't have much to talk about. And so we decided to push it to, to next week instead. Uh, okay. Well, I'm sure Chris will talk about it next week on the water cooler. But now that he's seen it, he did point out to us some similarities to uh, in the last episode to the movie contact from Robert Zemeckis. And there, there's some interesting things there. Like when Monica was going through the hex and like how her like face was distorting is very much how like Jodie Foster's character does in contact. There was some, I want to say too, too framed perfectly to be coincidental. Yeah, there's yeah, there's like two or three shots here that are like framed exactly the way that they were um in the same kind of sequence in in contact. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to check it out. I'm guessing w- with a lot of these shows and movies, the filmmakers reference films that they love and they'll often put together like these I want to say like sizzle reels. I forget what they're called. They're pitch, like pitch reels. Pitch reels. Yeah. And, and they oftentimes will, <laughs> it's almost like the music. Sometimes it happens with the music where you hear like a score part of a movie and you're like, that sounds a lot like this score from another movie. And it's because they were using that score in the temp mix. And it, that, that stuff kind of comes through sometimes, not just as an homage. It could be an homage here. Who knows? I mean, maybe one day we'll talk, talk with the uh, filmmaker and find out. But uh, it, it, it's worth noting. And let's see what other email we have here. Blaze in Las Vegas wrote in and he asked, whatever happened to a sword agent that changed into a beekeeper? We saw Wanda rewind time, but I don't think there was any acknowledgement of whether or not he's still in Westview. I guess the question here, Brad, is like, does it matter? Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, you we would assume that maybe he's just now caught up in the show and just part of the rest of the group where they're on their pads of what they're supposed to be doing, you know, like the Truman Show, essentially. Yeah. I mean, maybe if this was a show like Lost, the last episode would open with the sewer opening up and then it would follow the beekeeper. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they did that. I mean, they kind of did that with inside the uh, the hatch the desmond well i guess that was the first episode of season two anyways um i don't think we're gonna see anything more of this beekeeper i think that was just uh yeah i think that reveal has already played and he's in there somewhere 
doing something. I mean, there, there's lots of shield mem- or, or sword members in there. There's lots of clowns and things going on in there. Where, what are they doing? What, where are they? I guess we'll probably never find out. Matt writes in about the multiverse implications of the series because we know WandaVision is leading it to Doctor Strange multiverse of madness. A lot of people have speculated that this will open up the multiverse to us in some ways. We we haven't quite seen that. We saw that maybe a little with Pietro, but I don't know. We'll talk about that later in this episode. But Matt wrote in and he said the events of WandaVision most likely take place before Far From Home, as you've noted. I think this might make the stinger from Far From Far From Home worth looking at again, which could put the appearance of J.K. Simmons at the end of Spider-Man in a new light. It might have been a fun idea for a cameo that could very well end up being retooled to work more for the larger story, seeing as what's happening with the MCU. Just curious what you guys thought. Like, I guess so. so, so basically, he is saying. The fact that J.K. Simmons is in the Spider-Man or the MCU Spider-Man universe now, will that be because of what happens in WandaVision and the opening up of the multiverse? What do you think, Brad? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's that would be one way to explain, you know, why the J. Jonah Jameson in this universe is also J.K. Simmons, you know, because in, you know, the multiverses within Marvel Comics, usually... The characters are just uh, are they look the same, or at least they can look the same, but they just have different personalities, different experiences, and, and things like that. So it would make sense if you know, we open up the multiverse and we end up seeing you know Tobey Maguire Spider Man universe, or where we know J.K. Simmons was already J. Jonah Jameson, and then the reason that he's also J. Jonah Jameson in this universe is just because it's a a parallel version of the same character. Yeah, I think it's more likely what you said. It's not like. J.K. Simmons as Jenner Jameson came from another uh, dimension. It's right. just that this is the version of that character in the MCU. Okay, uh, Aaron in the UK wrote in, love the podcast. There seems to be a lot of speculation both online and in the podcast about the color of Monica's glowing eyes, especially in the post credit scene where they appear to be purple. This has led many to suggest that she may be under Agatha's control at this point. Isn't it part of Spectrum's powers that she absorbs and controls the energy around her? This would explain why her eyes glow blue initially, having come through the blue hex barrier, and why when she's close to the glowing purple of Agatha's power, her eyes start to glow purple. She's channeling the power that in the same way that she might channel the electricity in the power cables. I mean, I, I guess that explains it, right? Yeah, I think that's that's probably what they were trying to, to get across uh, in, when they showed what her perspective was like uh, when her eyes were glowing as well. Okay, let's get into it. Let's let's go into our brief thoughts on this episode. I'll, I'll start things off. Uh, you know, this episode's t- titled Previously On, and last week on the podcast, uh, I mentioned that Andrew... Gamboa uh, predicted, or he kind of predicted this. He sent a message to me and he was like, what if the next episode is a flashback episode showing us, you know, how Agatha did everything all along and, you know, told us uh, Wanda's story so far. And it was kind of like that in a way, but it was done in this kind of Christmas Carol style 
exploration of them like going into these past moments and I don't know. It seems to be very divisive online from what I'm seeing. I think a lot of fans are invested in the series in a way like we are, where we are overanalyzing everything. And I do think for some people, this episode was just a a lot of confirming a lot of the things that we already suspected or knew. But on the other hand, I think for general audiences, I think this is told in a very compelling way. And there are a lot of big reveals here for those people that, you know, that they, you know, the people that weren't speculating and listening, you know, watching the YouTube videos and listening to the podcast. Um, I like this episode quite a bit. Uh, actually, I would say I love this episode, honestly. This is, I think, maybe the most emotional thing that Marvel Studios has ever produced thus far i i'm trying to think how many times i've cried during a marvel cinematic universe movie i think this might be the second time that has happened out of you know what 12 years now or something so uh not not to say that you know making me cry is the pinnacle of what you need to achieve when creating <laughs> compelling story content but it, it 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 is a higher level of achievement, especially when it comes to superhero movies, which are usually, you know, a lot of just you know, fighting and stuff. And I personally have no history with Wanda from the comics. I didn't read any of the comics with her and I never really cared for Wanda as, as a character in, you know, Avengers Age of Ultron or Civil War. I don't know. She just didn't there wasn't much to her for me in this series her character became a lot more intriguing but i think it wasn't until this episode that i actually cared about her and this episode not only got me to care but you know i i now am so invested in what happens and i think this is a a a huge achievement on a story and character level for a marvel thing to achieve because I I think I care about her more than I care about 99% of the characters in the Marvel cinematic universe at this point. So, uh, I don't know. I, I I really like this episode. I know very emotionally invested into it. And while some of the exploration of the past felt a little clunky, I do like that they tried to do something outside of the traditional and not do just a flashback episode where they, they had like, you know, the witches going throughout these times and in seeing these periods happen, happen around them. I think that was kind of like a unique idea. I'm not sure it was entirely successful. I don't think it like it, it was, you know, as successful as it could have been, but I liked the idea of it. Uh, Brad, what did you think of this episode? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I really loved uh, this episode for sure, and like I feel like you know it's um, I think what, what the reason a lot of people may be complaining about this is because it does so much like it doesn't it's not necessarily retconning, but it's just a, a, an a, a episode where it's explaining a lot, some that we already knew, some that we already assumed. And it, it feels like it's trying to recontextualize a lot of things 
And I think because it's coming so late in the season that it feels like a last minute thing um, for a lot of people that maybe isn't necessary or maybe is just is a little too basic of a an explanation for things. But for me, I think that it it has this tricky balance where they're clearly trying to do something that's much more that, that resonates on a much deeper emotional level by focusing on this story of grief of Wanda losing everybody that she's ever loved. And I think that them combining it with the, the spectacle of the Marvel cinematic universe is no easy feat, especially since we've seen, you know, so many people in this, in this series as engrossing as the story is, they're constantly caught up in the, the mystery and the, the spectacle of, oh, who's going to show up on, on the show this week? Or how does this tie into uh, the, the Spider-Man movie or Doctor Strange? And those are all things that are exciting to talk about. But I think that it, it, it can lose the overall impact of what's the, of the story that's being told here. And I think that this series really tapped into the emotional core um, of what Marvel wanted to do with the story. And I think that it's... I think what these shows can do overall for Marvel is help flesh out characters who maybe didn't get enough time to have like a full character arc done properly in the movies, because there are so many characters on the Avengers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at large that it's hard to give each of them enough time to where you care about each and every one of them. And Wanda and Vision, I think, both got the short stick when it came to that. I mean, we don't really get to see Wanda... uh, deal with her grief uh from her brother dying at the end of avengers age of ultron in any of the movies you know there's there's a little bit of somberness to her and uh, especially in civil war when she's responsible for um for the deaths of those people and uh you know the way her relationship kind of blossoms with vision and then obviously the pain when he dies in uh, twice in avengers infinity war but there there was still not enough time to spend with them i think to really hit that true emotional core and this series is allowing that and this episode especially i think really tapped into her story in a, in a way that made it much more meaningful and like you said it made you care about her more than you ever did in any, in any other movies and I, I this episode in particular uh just because of what i'm personally dealing with right now it hit me um right in, right in the heart and i think that this this episode it just it's it really helps put things in a better perspective. And I was talking to a friend actually about this and they said that they felt like they would have preferred it if they actually maybe revealed some of this stuff earlier in the show, like as the series went on, like maybe towards the end have like have these flashbacks that, that give you, make you care about Wanda the entire way, as opposed to suddenly giving you this whole episode where they have to recontextualize everything. But I also feel like I like the idea of them letting you exist in this world and enjoy this this you know sitcom and slowly unfurl what's happening and then find out why everything is like this. And I think that it makes the stuff, especially early on in WandaVision, where the sitcom was much more intact and really played it straight as far as the comedy and the, the silliness of the Dick Van Dyke show and Bewitched and, and the Brady Bunch. And I think that it it's one of those things where if you go back and watch again, it'll make it that much more meaningful because you know where, you know, where it's coming from. Yeah. I I can't wait to revisit this entire series under like, after we see the final episode next week to see, I, I guess you could revisit it right now because, you know, 
this this episode has set up everything. I'm wondering how much this context changes the way we see things. Like I'll mention later in this episode, but there's you know a moment later in in this episode where Wanda has this piece of paper and it's you know this touching moment uh, has a heart and you know a, a seemingly a message from Vision there. And if you think about it, this moment plays, you know, just minutes before that first episode that we see of the season, which the whole thing has to do with this weird heart that showed up on a, a calendar. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, that doesn't seem to be a coincidence to me. Like, that seems like, you know, she she kind of shut herself off to the world and she's slowly kind of like remembering some of these things that that that, that happened. So, um, okay, let's get into, or do you have anything say, else to say in the brief thoughts or should we go to the breakdown? Yeah, let's just start breaking it down. Okay. Um, by the way, this episode is, I think the longest one, 46 minutes long thus far. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe opening happened and it transitions into a purple color, which is the color of Agatha's power. And... Some people have pointed out to me that it's also the color in Doctor Strange associated with the dark dimension. So maybe there's something there. Um, the The first scene here takes place in Salem, Massachusetts in 1693. And this is the time of the Salem witch trials. We see Agatha Harkness put to trial, but not, not from the people of Salem. It's from her coven who she betrayed uh, by practicing some dark magic or something. It's very unclear what exactly is going on here, but it seems like they have decided to to burn her, basically, at the stake, right? <laughs> and uh, it, it's interesting because Agatha here says, I didn't break your rules. They simply bent to my power. And there's moments here where Agatha is pleading in it. I'm not sure. I wanted to get your take on this, Brad. Like, is she a bad guy or is she not a bad guy? Because in the comics, Agatha kind of wants to be this, wants to be good. And she helps like Wanda and she kind of gets keep putting, she gets put in this corner where she ends up having to be the bad guy. And I'm not sure if we have enough time to explore that with one episode left of the series. Yeah, I was I, I thought that too because I I want to, I wanted to know more about what it was that she did that violated these rules and exactly what, you know, what happened. Um because there's a, there's a, there's plenty of villains who we've seen, you know, in pop culture uh where they're they're merely misunderstood or they just have a, a perspective that is a little bit warped and they think that they're trying to do good. You know, I mean, I mean, Thanos is, you know, the, the biggest example in the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was wondering about, you know, whether what she was, had done was something nefarious or just something that w- could be construed as such because it maybe violated the laws of nature or magic or something like that. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the Coven basically tries to burn her at the stake but Agatha's powers are greater and she takes them all out. She pleads with her mother saying that she can be good. And uh, her mom doesn't believe it. And Agatha ends up killing her as well. And, <laughs> and heart- heartlessly 
ends up taking the brooch that we saw her winning uh, wearing during the series from her dead mom. Like, what do you think? Is this like a family heirloom of sorts? I mean, I'm not entirely sure. I the the what's on the brooch, I believe, is a depiction of of three witches, and I think that there's something about that that's tied to. Uh, we I believe we talked about this before. That's tied to um, the the vision that Thor had um, oh, during, yeah. during Age of Ultron, and how that tied into the Infinity Stones and and seeing the future and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I'm not sure if she can be good because she killed the dog. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind know. of a heinous thing to do. Yeah, uh, I I do think this is interesting that they chose to to set this in 1693, which when it first comes on screen in you know Salem, Massachusetts, you're like, oh, the Salem witch trials. And you think that she's going to be burnt alive by, or like, you know, it's going to be the people of Salem, but it ends up being the witches, her own coven. And it, in the end, tell me if I'm wrong here. In the end, presumably, 1693 was like when the famous witch trials like ended. So presumably Agatha killed her coven and moved on and there was nobody left to, for this, you know, for Salem to burn. So we saw how, how the Salem witch trials ended is what I, how I'm reading it. I think, yeah. I mean, I think that that's probably, (laughs) yeah, probably possible. Yeah. Okay. So back to our current time or actually in the future, technically because of this whole snap thing, Uh, Wanda is unable to access Agatha's thoughts. Agatha mocks Wanda's accent and Wanda learns that she's in a protection spell space in Agatha's basement which doesn't allow her to use her magic. So she's basically like a prisoner. Um, Let me just say that I, I loved that they tossed in a thing about Wanda's accent coming and going, since that's been <laughs> uh, something that a lot of people have complained about it disappearing. And it was, they, they clearly made fun of themselves a little bit there. Yeah. I like that too. And I, I think the important thing is here that Wanda is a prisoner in this room. She can't use her powers. And also, the show is telling us that she doesn't even know the basics of witchcraft, even though she's able, we're, we're seeing that she's capable of doing this insane witchcraft by creating like this, this whole hex controlling thousands of people, you know, insanity, but she still doesn't, she doesn't even know the foundations, as Agatha said. And this seems to me, Brad, like this is a setup for something. This doesn't just seem... Like, we're telling the audience about Wanda here. Well, we are, you know, they are telling the audience about Wanda, but it also seems to me, if I was going to make a prediction here, and I've been wrong with some of my predictions, but it seems to me like this whole idea of the runes and not being able to do your magic in this protection spell space seems to be like a bigger setup that maybe perhaps Wanda will, will use this in the climax to take down Agatha. Uh, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. I, it's, I think it probably depends, I guess, on the rules of how that works. Since she, since Agatha created that space, I don't know if it's something that could be manipulated by Wanda, but considering Wanda is so powerful, maybe it will be. Well, I'm saying like, like Wanda would lead Agatha to a space that she created. Oh, that, oh, that maybe like resembles her, the thing. And then it's like a trigger. 
I mean, it could just be a space. Like, it doesn't have to resemble the basement. It, it, like, oh, in the space of her own, you mean that she creates? Like, yeah. Gotcha. Like, gotcha. I don't know. I, I could be completely wrong. It could just be to <laughs> to tell the audience, uh, you know, the information that she doesn't know that she's a witch. Um, okay, so Agatha reveals that she was responsible for the fake Pietro. She created him using a crystalline possession. It was basically the eyes and ears of Pietro. I think this is the moment in this episode that most fans are going to be up, like, I want to say upset, disappointed in. Yeah, because it feels like it leans away from what people were really excited about, which was that this might be the Quicksilver from the X-Men universe brought in and really like establishing the multiverse as a place that has been accessed and is being opened up. And even though we know that's coming, it seems like that's not the case with this character. But it does make me wonder how and why she used, you know, that that version of Quicksilver to do this. Maybe there's more to be revealed there um, about where that version of Pietro came from and and why uh, it was used in this in this case, because if it wasn't intentional and if it doesn't turn out to be something deeper, then it it feels like a a missed opportunity and, and something that was used more so just to drum up excitement without any real substance behind it. Yeah, that's my question. Why use Evan Peters if it isn't somehow related to the X-Men films? It just, I don't know. It it, it seems so weird. I'm guessing there's going to be more to the story. I'm hoping there's more to the story because it it does seem weird. Okay, so we learned that Agatha sensed what was going on in Westview and so many, because so many spells were cast all at once and she was basically drawn to figure out what was going on here which uh seems a little convenient but whatever um agatha uses wanda's hair to create this door into wanda's past uh wanted to ask you brett i already kind of gave my opinion on this but what did you think of this whole christmas carol style exploration of flashbacks yeah, I I really like this this angle. It's it's familiar, you know. It, it's it's derivative for sure, but it allows us to to get an origin story for Wanda without giving her, you know, a movie that explains where where she came from. You know, we we had a very basic idea of uh, how she came to have these powers, but I I do wonder if this was something that they had thought of early on when they brought Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch into. Um, Avengers Age of Ultron, or if this was something that came about as the time went on and they figured out the story that they could tell and how they could essentially, you know, it's because they're not, they're not technically retconning anything because the stuff that happened still happened, but it's just that we didn't have all of the information um, about Wanda's past. And so I like how it digs back to these moments that we thought we understood, but realized that we didn't fully have a grasp on. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that moment in a second. Uh, okay, so the first moment we see is Wanda's childhood. Oleg and Irina, Wanda's parents, uh, gather together with the family around the TV for movie night where they watch old sitcoms to help learn English. And I'm, am I reading this right? That basically the father 
sells these DVDs on the street to make money. Yeah, that's what it's, that's what I understood. It seems like he's maybe a, a market seller, someone who just tries to sell um, what uh, maybe are bootlegs, even you know, because that's something that happens in a lot of countries around the world. They sell bootleg DVDs in these uh, street markets. It was weird because some of them looked like they were just like normal releases, but then other ones that didn't have titles looked like they had like those photocopy, like you know, uh, covers yeah. in the the DVD sleeves. Um. I do want to note that these are not the actors from the commercials. Me and a lot of other people had theorized that the actors from the commercials were going to end up being Wanda's parents. And that turned out not to be true. So uh, it's funny in, in this briefcase, there's, there's a lot of like TV shows that inspired this series. So there's, I love Lucy. There's Adam family bewitched. Who's uh who's the boss? Malcolm in the middle. I dream of genie. Um, Wanda picks to watch season two, episode twenty one, of the Dick Van Dyke Show. Uh, Brad, are are were you a fan of the Dick Van Dyke Show? Um, so it wasn't something that like I grew up watching uh, religiously or anything. I would catch stuff here and there because it was on nick at night when i was younger and so when nickelodeon would turn into nick at night i would see things here and there but it's not a show that i uh grew up watching in the way that i did a show like you know, the brady bunch or i love lucy see i used to watch this all the time on nick at night and i've actually seen this episode and this episode is actually a it was a big episode for its time when it when it originally aired it's called it may look like a walnut and it's an homage to the twilight zone and in the episode, Rob, uh, Dick Van Dyke, he wakes up in a reality where all of his family and friends have been turned into walnut-eating, air-drinking trilodites. And it's, uh, I mean, at the end of the episode, he wakes up and it was all a dream, that kind of thing. But it was kind of this bold, it's considered one of the best sitcom episodes of all time. You see it like on lists of like the 100 best sitcoms. And I think it's because it was such a big, bold swing because it was like the second season of the show and they just did something so very different and outside of its wheelhouse and uh, especially being so early in its run. But um, it's also worth noting that this is actually the 20th episode that aired on TV, but it's the 21st episode that was filmed. So the DVD sets that release the episodes, it's actually episode 20, 21 on the DVD sets. Um, I, I've seen some people confused about this online on Twitter. So uh, the DVD set has gone to the original filming release order, but it was aired as episode 20. Anyway, anyways, uh, I'm getting too nerdy here, uh, but it uh, we see this family in this Sokovian like you want to call it a hellhole I guess you know there's like a war going on outside uh they're trying to escape their their shitty lives by watching this old sitcom on crappy and this crappy small tv and all I can think while I'm watching this Brad is like how much I miss going to the movie theaters and being able to escape like the reality of our times yeah currently yeah uh then of course the explosion hits uh the Stark bomb is sitting in the middle of what the remains of the living room the parents are dead the kids are alone and wanda tries to find an escape uh in the, in the episode that's still playing on the tv but uh you know 
she's unable to awake from this bad nightmare. It's it's reality. I I want to say I called this one. I think I think in like one of our early episodes, maybe it was like episode two or three of this podcast, I said that they were going to be watching sitcoms as the parents got killed. Yeah. Uh. So you know, I I say a lot of insane theories that don't end up being true. Uh, like you know, the mailman being in on it which we'll see later was not the case. Uh, but this one, I, I, I do want to take credit for. I was right. But, um, okay. So Agnes thinks she used the, uh, a probability hex to stop the bomb from exploding for the two days that they were sitting there. And we learned that Hydra didn't give her her powers. She was the first test subject to not be killed when forced to when faced to go face to face with the uh, mind stone from Loki scepter and Agnes theorizes that the infinity stone amplified her already undiscovered powers. So this is what you're talking about when it's, when you're saying it's not necessarily a retcon, but it, it, it is because before we thought that her powers originated from, was like a science experiment. And now, now she's a witch, Right. <laughs> Yeah, but and and so yeah, and it's yeah. I mean, so it's it's a retcon in like in you know technically because it it recontextualizes you know what what happened, but it's that could have easily been there all along, you know. Yeah, so I know Jacob. I wish I could have got him on this podcast, but he was unable to do the podcast. He's so happy about this because he loves the character from the comics and he loves that uh, she's a witch and didn't really like the you know. That them getting getting magical powers from a science experiment, so I, I'm sure a lot of fans are going to love this. I, I I don't mind I don't mind a retcon like this because, like you say, it doesn't change the events in any way. It just adds an event previous that we didn't know about, and it also I guess it also recontextualizes is that event where they're stuck in the home with the bomb, and in a way she became the hero. Of you know not no not knowingly right keeping that bomb from exploding so I think that's kind of cool uh, so when she encounters the stone it turns yellow and she sees a a vision of a woman floating down from the sky which looks a lot like Scarlet Witch from the comics is, is that what we're seeing yeah it's definitely a silhouette of Scarlet Witch in the style of the the costume that we saw her wearing on Halloween in the, the previous spooktacular episode. It's weird that they actually let us see her in that costume in the Halloween episode when they're cl- clearly building up to the fact that she's going to become Scarlet Witch and have that costume. I think that it'll probably look different, though. Like, a, yeah. a, like a, That's clearly like a Halloween version, and I'm sure the one that we see will probably be a little bit more elegantly designed or something like that. Yeah, but I'm I'm sure fans of the comic were like jumping up and down as they saw this like little clip of the silhouette come uh, you know floating down from the sky. Uh, okay, so Wanda is sent back to isolation where she watches an episode of the Brady Bunch, and it's the Kitty Carry All episode. And I think we mentioned in our previous podcast it was actually episode three of WandaVision that we saw the Kitty Carry All like doll. Wanda and Vision were like preparing to become parents and they were putting diapers on the kitty carry all doll that Cindy Brady's character, you know, the beloved doll of Cindy Brady and the Brady bunch. And I think I mentioned in that episode and, uh, 
it, it's uh, it's funny that the, this comes back. So I mean, it's it's all connected in a way. Uh, in, in in the episode of the Brady Bunch, Cindy's doll disappears, and she blames her brother Bobby, who didn't like the doll. Uh, I guess he couldn't play kazoo around the doll, and Bobby's kazoo ends up disappearing, and then. Bobby thinks that Cindy stole it out of retaliation. And then it's, you know, this typical Brady Bunch kind of thing where they have this mock trial at home. And uh, in the end, they find out that it was actually the dog that's that was responsible for stealing both items. Um, I will say one so- thing I found a little bit interesting about the episode that they featured yeah. is that it's um, the scene in question that has um, Cindy saying that Bobby is going to hurt the doll's feelings. And then he says... Uh, the doll doesn't have any feelings. It's just full of sawdust or rags or something. And it oh. makes me feel like that might be some kind of reference to like how vision has been perceived as this synthesoid who isn't really a person and is just full of machinery and vibranium and, and whatnot. Well, that, that I was going to mention this, Brad. So I'm glad you brought this up because I was, am I dealing, am I digging too far into this as a metaphor that the doll equates to vision and that, tiger the 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 dog of the the brady the brady bunch's dog is actually hayward or am i reading too far into things like you know everybody thought that wanda stole vision but it turns out no it was the dog over there <laughs> yeah i mean i would i would stop maybe just short of hayward being, being <laughs> tiger but yeah it is there definitely does seem to be some kind of link there okay I I know I tend to go deeper sometimes. <laughs> I, I I tend to to keep on digging when I, I probably already reached the 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 point where I sh- should have been. But okay. Um. So then we see the Hydra agents uh, that they're kind of they don't understand what's going on because not only was she able to encounter the Mindstone, but they look back at the security footage, and it seems to be missing the interaction that Wanda had with the Mindstone. Like it has been clipped out of the footage or erased from existence is are we kind of seeing here her ability to edit time in the way that we've seen in WandaVision? I mean, that, that seems to be the implication. I'm not necessarily sure it's, it's editing time as much as it is probably manipulating what the camera recorded and like the technology of it all. But, mm-hmm. but it does have a similar feel of how she, you know, recut the episodes of WandaVision early on to avoid revealing certain things. Yeah. Uh, the next scene we see is set during uh, Captain America Civil War. And this is a moment between Wanda and Vision. They're at Avengers headquarters. And Wanda has just lost um, her brother. And she's trying to explain the comedy of a ridiculous sitcom to a robot. And Vision is also trying to conv- comfort Wanda over her recent loss. Um, and... It's kind of a sweet moment, and I, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know. I, I, I got emotional during this moment because the way Vision looks at grief as love persevering, it's such a wonderful way of looking at it. I think. Did you, do you have any thoughts on this moment? Oh boy, do I have thoughts on this moment, Peter? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put you on the spot, Brad. It, it, by the way, I want to say, I want to like make you relive this whole thing. But if you haven't listened to the water cooler, the last water cooler, which was like a week and a half ago, Brad told the story of his recent loss um, 
So I'm not going to make you go into all that, but like you coming into this episode, uh, it, <laughs> you you were um, you know the the band aid was just ripped off. Do you know what I mean like it, it's a fresh wound for you to be dealing with these same kind of themes? Yeah, this was. I mean, in the in the weeks that have followed since, um, just for if you don't know and you haven't listened to the Water Club episode, my my dad passed away. Uh, a few weeks ago suddenly and it was a big shocking devastating surprise um and in when i finally got around to feeling like watching stuff again you know i, I caught up with wandavision because i knew once i was back to work i would be back doing this and uh i i assumed that it was going to be hard to watch the show as it went on because it was clear what it was going to be about and you know we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the episode about it's a story about grief and Wanda losing uh, everybody that she has loved. And this scene, uh, man, it just like, it just squeezed my heart because, you know, hearing Wanda um, talk about the loss and what it feels like. And the only thing that you feel like when you're in a position like this is that the only thing that will make it better is having that person back. And it's, it's such a brief explanation of just the waves of emotions that you feel and how you feel like every day you're lost a little bit. And I really appreciated how simple and like logical visions approach to it was and digging through the emotions that come with grief and how it, like I, I had to pause the show just because this idea that grief is the perseverance of love. And that's what we're feeling because we've lost someone that we love. It was it really just just rang true and just uh man it was such a great scene yeah um oh boy uh <laughs> uh you know i i also lost my mom when i was younger so this 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 hit me lost in any movie or tv show or anything like really hits me hard because that's something that like i encountered when i was really young and uh <laughs> And I don't know, there's something just so universal and relatable about if if you've gone through this to understand what Wanda was going through in this moment. And also uh, how sweet, even even though it's a robot, do you know what I mean? He's he's a robot without feelings, but he's, he's trying to console her and... And it's, I don't, really, and I don't even think it's necessarily that he's without feelings, but it's just the way that he approaches them and processes them is so much different. Yeah, and he's approaching it with logic. Yeah, which usually doesn't work <laughs> against emotion. Yeah, but it, it, I don't know. I thought his reading of that was just so beautiful—a beautiful way of uh, putting uh, to look at grief. Um, but okay, uh, let's move on, Wanda went to sword because she wanted closure with vision to give him a proper funeral. Uh, actually, before we, we go on to that, Brad, I do want to ask you, like, do, do you think like that's true? Like, do you think that's why she showed up there? Or do you think she was, had the intention of bringing him back? She, I think that, I think that she was being honest. I don't think that she had the intention of going there to, do anything with vision except wanting to provide closure by 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 burying him and having a funeral because 
she she didn't seem like it was something like she had a plan or anything. She was clearly distraught and she she wanted to pay respect to, you know, the person that she she loved, her, you know, her her soulmate. And so I I don't I think that it was exactly what we saw and that's and it just it took just a completely different turn because of what what happened. Um but so yeah, I don't I don't think that there was anything there except, you know, her wanting to just pay respect to to Vision by burying him. Yeah. She meets director Hayward, which, by the way, we got an email from a listener named Quaid who wrote in that um, that Wanda's introduced to Hayward as he introduces himself as director Hayward. But when he introduces himself to Monica, he introduces himself as assistant director or yeah, assistant director or active director or something like that. I think it's director. Act, act, acting director, I think. Yeah, so why do you think there's a difference there in the way he introduces himself? I feel like with with Wanda, he was trying to maybe create a sense of authority and like not necessarily create any questions about whether he was in charge and what he was able to yeah. do. And with Monica, I think maybe it was more of a thing about respect to her mother and like giving her a sense of security that he's not taking this position like as like an authoritative figure necessarily. It's just a job that he's been put into for the time being, um, which as we've seen, it probably isn't the case. Yeah. Quaid theorized that Hayward is now a LMD, a life model decoy designed by sword. And that's why he's introducing himself differently. I, I, I tend to believe that you, 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 your explanation is the correct explanation. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. That seems like a big leap. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Okay. So he shows Wanda, vision's body and vision's body is being dismantled and uh it's it's dismantled into pieces and it's actually like such a striking piece of imagery it almost looks like like frankenstein's monster being dismantled or it's it's almost a shame that they couldn't use this imagery in marketing because it's like so striking yeah and also uh i think particularly heinous on the part of hayward because like I was of the mind that this is just a guy who is, you know, a misguided government official doing what he thinks is right, you know, trying to use the, the resources at his disposal to keep the planet safe from various threats, you, you know, using vision to, you know, create something that he thinks that can protect them, you know. But what he does here is just so evil and disrespectful sure. by like let like showing Wanda vision without any warning about what she's about to see the, the, per, you know, the person that she loves dismantled and like their limbs scattered and their, she's literally sees, you know, one of his arms being taken apart and seeing the wires and, and everything exposed. And like, it's just, just how brutal that is. Yeah. And not only that, he's disrespecting his last will and Testament. Yeah. Like he asked not for that to happen. Exactly. Um, so we believe we first believed that Hayward was doing experiments on vision, but right here in this scene, we'll talk about later, but right here in the scene, he seems to suggest that Hayward is dismantling a possible threat so that vision can't be used by others and they're going to dismantle it and use the vibranium for some other purposes. Um, and, um, Hayward actually, yeah, it, you're right. What Hayward is doing here is heinous. Not only does he show her 
vision like being torn apart but then he accuses her of trying to bring him back to life this was so interesting to me because I, w- I, w- I was almost surprised that like he let her come back there if he thought that's what she was trying to do he has to know how powerful she is M- maybe not though um because i guess maybe she hadn't shown the the most power strength that she had shown of her power was with you know fighting thanos and it showed that she could probably easily have taken them down if she wasn't interrupted by Thanos's barrage of missiles from his ship. But so, so maybe a lot of people don't know exactly how powerful she is yet, but it seemed like an awful risk to let her in there knowing that she could have this emotional outburst, especially if he thought she was there to take vision away. Um, so yeah, I, I, wonder I think if, it's also the thought, Brad, like if they know that she's powerful, they're, they know that they can't stop her. Well, that, but I also wonder if maybe he was secretly hoping that there, that she might be able to reactivate Vision so that then they could use him more efficiently since they were clearly not having any luck doing things with him yet. Yeah. Um. Okay, so... Oh, and I should also mention that the image here of him being dismantled is similar to a panel from the Vision Quest comic book arc. Uh, I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So uh, Wanda breaks through the glass on the second floor window, floats down to inspect the lifeless body of her former love. And it's this really, really sad moment where she puts her hand on his head and she can't feel any life in him. And she... Uh, it's interesting here because we see she doesn't steal or rescue the body as we had been told. Hayward said that she stole Vision's body. She just leaves. And uh, that actually brings some questions to to mind. Like, So we, find, we found out a couple episodes ago that Hayward was tracking Vision's body inside the hex. If Vision inside the hex is just a creation of Wanda. Why is he tracking him? Or what, for what purpose? Like, do you have any idea? Or is this getting into spoilers of what we're talking about uh, in the, the mid credit scene? I think it's possible. I, part of me thinks that, yeah, it's maybe him covering his bases. Like, they, they're they sensing something that they, at least they think resembles, you know, Vision's body, his signature, whatever you, you want to call it. Um that that Wanda you know has has created in this world and so if anything maybe it's just him keeping up appearances that they're not in possession of a vision's body anymore or something like that okay so uh there's a paper on the passenger seat Wanda drives to Westview and we 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 get a view of what Westview was like before she got there it's this really shitty New Jersey town that seems to be many years past its prime and we see a lot of the citizens that we recognize from Wanda sitcoms, but all of them seem to be going through the motions of their, I want to say like loveless, empty lives. Um, it's almost remarkable. I, I know we're seeing things from Wanda's point of view and, you know, there's the point of view of hers and there's the, the point of view of other, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like her point of view is not gold here. But it's remarkable how this show has gone from a place where we are led to believe that this character had thousands of people's prisoner under her control and she's a dangerous person that's going to be killing people. And so now we're in a place where we're seeing everything from Wanda's point of view 
and we're seeing like how bad these people's lives were before she got there. And we're kind of like, oh, she she was kind of like helping them. What what do you think about that, Brad? I I wonder if it's not necessarily that we're seeing it from her perspective, but I wonder if this was Marvel's way of making what Wanda did feel a little less um, villainous, you know, so that that when by changing Westview and bringing these people into it, she's not necessarily even though they are essentially hostages who are being controlled by her that maybe this, the existence that she created for them was better than this rundown town that it was before. Yeah. We even see the mailman was not even a mailman. He was a pizza delivery guy. <laughs> so it looks like even his life got better. I mean, depending on which way you look at it, I don't know. Uh, but, okay. So she walks up to this plot of land that has the remains of a foundation of a house that is no longer there. And she opens up the piece of paper to reveal that this was a, a seemingly a gift from vision, a place for them to grow old together. It says uh, with a heart there. And I mentioned that um, that heart appears in on the calendar in the first episode of one vision. Uh, oh, one other thing I want to mention is the license plate on her car says Excelsior on the bottom of it. So that's a reference to Stan Lee. But also, Brad, uh, the uh, I don't know if you noticed the what their their address is and where they live. Oh no, I didn't. It's twenty eight hundred Sherwood, which is uh, I believe a reference to Sherwood Schwartz, the creator of the Brady Bunch. Oh. Um, okay, so the question I want to ask you here, Brad, it, it, should we be taking this at face value? Is this like, was this really a gift from Vision? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's it seems to be like a, it's not like a perspective warp or uh, you know anything like that i think that this is they had intended to live a life together uh in this in this area and this was where they were supposed to be and uh, this um this adds some significance to a, a moment that we've only seen in the marketing so far that i i'm certain will be in the final episode uh, of the series when well, whatever the final battle is between if it's between them and agatha harkness where um, Wanda has, you know, says this is our home, and then Vision says, "Well, then let's fight for it." So I think it's clear this is where they were supposed to live. Yeah, and um, okay, so she uses her powers to transform the town into the sitcom perfect reality set in black and white, and Vision is there. He welcomes her home. Wanda kind of watches this whole thing in third person. By the way, this, this is like a beautiful moment. Uh, for, for for the series, uh, a beautiful and sad moment, and uh, she watches in third person, and then realizes that this reality is just a set. She's on the sound stage. There's lights, and Agnes claps from the empty bleachers, uh, from the studio audience seats, and uh, <laughs> then she disappears, and uh, because she has the she has the, the the twins and Wanda heads out uh, trying to trying to get to help the twins. And Agnes explains that Wanda doesn't know how dangerous she is, that there is a myth about her, a being capable of spontaneous creation, the Scarlet Witch. So we finally get that name that Hayward was so like, it's like, oh, she can't be a hero. She didn't even have a name. Now she has a name. <laughs> and, and, uh, there's uh that that's how the episode ends. No, 
This is the first time we don't get the the police standby title card. Why why do you think we don't get the police standby title card? I mean, I wonder if it's because we're no longer in the confines of the TV show of WandaVision. Yeah. And so I think that that's a little bit of a signifier in, the, in that. It's just a nice little subtle touch. Oh, uh, one other thing I saw a bunch of people on Twitter, because you mentioned the the home thing and you think it you take it as face value. I saw a bunch of people on Twitter being like, oh, I think Agatha, you know, set up that note to have her go there and create this reality. And I'm like, have you not watched this whole episode? This whole episode is about Agatha learning how this whole thing was created. Yeah, exactly. She didn't even show up there until after it was created because she felt all the magic in this one place. So she went there to see what was going on. Yeah. So, um, and if that were were the case, that would have to be something that where Agatha got involved in her life before then to know to create something that she would buy into as something that was from Vision. So it's it has to be genuine. Yeah, I I don't think there's any any way. Okay, so I almost missed this. There's a mid credit scene here, and in the mid credit credit scene, Hayward is told that the team is ready for launch, and this is actually. Something we heard last week. They mentioned a launch, and we never got to see what it was. And this week, we get to see what it was. It they're using Wanda's energy that she used on that drone that they sent into the hex to power a version of Vision. I think they've rebuilt Vision, and he's all white now. And uh, and then it ends. So that's our cliffhanger. And uh, Jacob told me that in that comic book series, Vision Quest. There's a storyline where rogue agents of the United States government manipulate um, something to abduct Vision and dismantle him. And then the Avengers recover the parts and Dr. Pym rebuilds Vision. But now he's a chalk white complexion and um, he doesn't have it. He's like emotionless. So he's an emotionless artificial human. So uh, so there's some, you know, this is some adaptation from the comic books. what do, you, what do you think is going to happen? Or what, what do you think of the scene, Brad? Uh, it's a great tease for what will uh, undoubtedly happen in the next episode. I'm sure we're going to get some Scarlet Witch versus Agatha Harkness and Vision on Vision uh, comic book action here in the, uh, the final episode. Um, one And one interesting thing to point out, I don't know if this has been discussed before, but the, the secret project that uh, Hayward had been working on that Darcy discovered uh, was called Project Cataract, and a cataract uh, is a clouding oh. of the normally clear lens of your eye, or a clouding of your vision, if you will. Hmm. Interesting. So they're going to launch Vision. We assume they're going to launch him to go into the hex, and we're going to have this epic battle between what? Well, is he going into the hex to battle Vision, or is he going into the hex to battle Wanda, or I guess Wanda and Vision? Yeah, probably both, because as we also see at the end, at the end of this episode, is that it's that Wanda's powers allowed her essentially to recreate Vision. And what I guess what's not clear, or maybe is clear now, um, is if this is actually a, a real being and not just something in Wanda's mind, because I think that that was previously when we um, had seen vision from Wanda's perspective, there was that flash where she saw his face, you know, uh, with the whole chunk taken out of it and colorless and, and lifeless, you know, 
But as we see here, it, it looks as if she was able to use her powers to completely recreate vision from her own mind. So, yeah. And, but, and based but on how does that work? Because so I far in the rules of this series or the rules of this hex, it seems like Wanda is using real people and transforming them in their houses. Like everything has a counterpart or has like a th- a thing inside the outer shell. Like, you know, her like Monica's um bulletproof jacket got turned into what a dress or something like that. Yeah. So if there's no vision, is vision just completely nothing? And he, I don't know. Like, I, how does that work? I don't know. And I think that maybe that's why Agatha is so obsessed with figuring out how this, how Wanda did this because she was able to, what, what, what was the line again that she cre- creates what now? What was it? Um, being capable of spontaneous creation. Yeah, and so I, it seems like she has created life essentially in the form of a vision, and that's like, and so this is like why she is so powerful. She has this this ability. Okay, uh, speculation. We only have one episode left, which seems kind of insane to me. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to be able to uh, resolve everything. Yeah, I wonder how long this episode is going to be. It has to be, I would say it has to be at least an hour, right? Yeah, yeah I would think so. <laughs> it could be a feature-length movie, probably. But, like, you need to resolve. We we didn't see Monica this week. What's yeah. going on with her? Darcy. We, Darcy, Jimmy, Wu. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, so much to resolve. You have two visions. Uh, You know, Paul Bettany was quoted in an interview. Uh, He said in an interview that Evan Peters... This this took place after the Evan Peters reveal. He said that there was an actor still coming in this season who he's wanted to work with since he was a young boy. And this led many people like speculating, like, you know, all these Marvel cameos. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jacob seems to think that that uh, Paul Bettany was uh, kind of trolling us. And he he means vision actually meeting vision. He wanted to work with himself. What do you What do you think? I think that would be a very funny thing if that's what he was been doing this whole time. It seems like kind of a a little too deceptive of a of a troll on Paul Bettany's part. So, I my my one thing that I wonder, my guess, and I wonder if this will be something that they use to re- resolve the thread that is, you know, why Evan Peters' version of Quicksilver was used in this show is if we'll get another X Men cameo, maybe Ian McKellen as Magneto, since Magneto is um, in the comics anyway the father of scarlet witch and quicksilver i just don't know how you can fit all that into one episode i i've seen some people speculating online especially after this episode that dick van dyke himself will appear in the heck somehow like not playing himself but like someone as dick van dyke you, you know him acting in the show i'm not sure how that work um uh yeah i don't know okay so last episode they they kind of showed this book that was there that seems to be somewhat at play i'm guessing that they're gonna have to destroy the book to defeat agnes in some way i think that they're i don't know i think i do think that there's gonna be something to either wanda having to create her own uh what was that personal safety zone or whatever it was called yeah or 
that she would have to lure Agnes out of there to be able to take her down or something. There's going to be something to play with that. Cause I think that's a setup. Um, but I don't know. What, what do you think is going to happen in this final episode? I honestly don't know because I'm, I'm still not entirely sure what Agatha intends to do. I'm not sure if she's, if she will try to harness the power of that Scarlet witch possesses, um, just in the same way that she took all the power from the witches in her, her coven, or, um, I, I would assume that that's probably the, the, the best, you know, guess as to, as to what she's doing, but, but how and what, uh, what not remains to be seen. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just very curious as to where, where this will leave off, you know, Wanda's story in the Marvel cinematic universe, because I think we talked about this before. I, I don't see how, I don't know the, how Vision can survive this and unless, you know, he really, he really is this fully fledged life form that Wanda created. But uh, I, I don't know, because like these, you know, these movies and uh, comic books in general, they always bring back characters from, from the dead. You know, no one's ever really gone in any of these stories, but I feel like you, it would almost cheapen the experience to be able to, to bring vision back but then at the same time you know you want that happy ending for for them as well so i i don't know i really i'm really not sure uh exactly where where this is going to end up you know beyond the the expected marvel studios uh spectacle of it all i mean a lot of people are speculating that scarlet witch is going to be one of the villains if not the villain of doctor strange multiverse madness and the only way i see that happening is if Vision has to die again, right? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Like, it's so weird because this episode is so setting her up to be the good guy in this. I don't know how you make her the bad guy. Yeah, I, th- I think I mentioned this on the uh, the previous episode, is that it would almost be a betrayal of what Wanda's going through to suddenly turn her into the bad guy. Um, and so, yeah, so I feel, I feel like that, that maybe the, the, uh, the initial thought we had of maybe this turning her into the villain for Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness probably won't come to fruition, but that's not to say that maybe something that she does will not, uh, um, won't be the cause of maybe what something that does happen in Spider-Man three or Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. I I do think that one thing that we're going to have to see is we're going to have to see Wanda kill vision maybe not her vision maybe it's the white vision but and not that she hasn't done that already she did that in what endgame or infinity war uh she ripped the right didn't didn't she or am i getting that wrong so she she had to she blew up the stone she didn't yeah yeah she she didn't pull it out of him like thanos did but yeah 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 um so i think that's going to be an emotional moment i don't know i i just it seems to me, well, we know that she is in Strange, and it seems to me that she's going to have to be maybe not the bad guy, but an antagonist of sorts. And it also seems to me that Marvel and Disney can't... Can they count on like people watching like a six-hour TV series or a, a however long TV series? Like, I feel like some people are just going to watch the movies... And they need to it everything to be explained from like movie to movie. 
don't know. I don't know how how you send Wanda into the next movie. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very interesting question. Is if for people maybe who are more casual fans, if they're if they don't have Disney Plus, if they're not keeping up with these shows, how much of this stuff are they going to have to know about in order to really understand what's happening in in the movies? And then, granted, I think that that's something that has already been an an issue, quote unquote, with how interconnected all the Marvel movies are. And maybe at this point, Disney is just like they're 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 just like you know what whatever like if you don't want to watch like that you don't understand it's it's your fault like you keep up or move on <laughs> i've always assumed and i i could be completely wrong here that these tv shows would have like big things happen like these big events and like big eventful things happen but at the end of the day it leaves the characters kind of in the same way that we left them so you don't really need to have seen them and by that i mean you know, at the end of Endgame, uh, Falcon gets handed the, the the shield. He is now the new Captain America. And now we're going to have the show. Um, what is the name of the show? Uh, the Falcon, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier. I'm sorry. I, I always like, I'm like, is it Bucky and the Winter Soldier? Bucky and Falcon? Um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier. I feel like that's going to that show is going to be largely about him kind of refusing the call. He, you know, he can't be Steve. He's not the new Captain America. And then by the end of the show, he's going to become Captain America. And then next time we see him in a Marvel movie, he'll be, you know, the new Captain America with the shield. He's you know, fel- the Falcon version of Captain America. And if you had only seen Endgame and then you see the next movie with Falcon, it would still make sense. It would totally make sense. So I was thinking maybe, you know, last time we saw Scarlet or we saw Wanda, she was really upset over the loss of vision. And if she has next to time again, her, then yeah, she would still be upset about it. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe that's maybe I'm thinking too little of general public audiences keeping up. Like, I don't know. Feige's been very smart about these things. Like, sure. They put these end credit things in like, you know, when, when Thanos first showed up, people were like, who the heck is that? That didn't fall the comics. But by the time he shows up the next time, everybody knows, Yeah, you know, it's, it's all explained. So I, I totally trust Marvel in explaining these things. And maybe, I don't know, maybe general audiences can understand these things a lot better than I'm giving them credit for. But I don't, I just don't know if everybody has time to watch these shows is what I'm saying. I mean, since there aren't any Marvel movies to watch right now, they pretty much have all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any other speculation on uh, next week's episode or the future? I don't think so. I think, yeah, I think we got that covered. Okay. Then that officially brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can, if you want to send us your feedback, if you have questions, you have comments about this episode, the stuff we missed, send it to peter at slashfilm.com. And please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. And please head on over to our iTunes page. Write us like a couple sentences about how you love the show. Uh, give us a five-star review. That helps more people find the show. That helps us so much. And it will only take 30 seconds of your time. Uh, and you can find more of all of our work at slashroom.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And uh, I guess... I guess we'll be back Monday with a a news episode. 
So we'll we'll talk to you then.